Hey everybody, this is Mike from High Hash Rate. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful July 4th Monday. Today's guest we have Sid on from uh, the Harley Tour. He's taking a tour around America, talking to different Bitcoiners at, diff at different Bitcoin meetups, and really excited to speak with him about uh, all the Bitcoiners that he's speaking with around America and uh, how he actually lives in Thailand and how that's been. So hope you enjoy. And uh, we may have had some audio issues on this round. Trying to fix that going forward, but I hope you like it. It has truly become a system of rules without rulers. And just the same way that we don't pass laws or argue in the halls of Congress about the laws of physics because we don't like gravity and it kills people, right. so we need to change it. We can't pass laws to change Bitcoin. We won't change Bitcoin. We just have to learn how to adapt to it instead. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. What up, everybody? It's Dan. I'm back. I've been gone for two weeks. I was traveling and then I got COVID. It wasn't that, wasn't that bad though. But anyways, I'm back here. Now actually today, Mike, he will be with us later. Ask you guys, if you like the show, go on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Five-star rating. Leave, leave a review. If you hate, you hate it, leave whatever, whatever you think we deserve. But uh, it does help grow the show. It does help people find it. And if we got high enough ratings we can do more with the show It'd be cooler get cooler guests and stuff like that so feel free to do that all right i'm done with that today today we're with, with sid he is the uh you may have heard of him heard of him he's riding his harley harley across america hit bitcoin or meter meetups uh cnc in the country uh hey man how, how's it going good daniel thanks for having me on i'm excited to to be here to yeah. be on high hash rate at last been working on getting this since I started the trip, but it's been a little busy. Oh, that's, right. Oh, that's right. That's right. We, uh, uh, I, met, I met briefly in Miami at the conference. Now you talked to my Mike a little bit more. Uh, how was mm -hmm. the, did you like Miami? Is, is that where you get off from there, right? Yeah, I kicked off in Miami. Yeah, Miami was good. I mean, it's a, everyone that you would ever want to meet in Bitcoin is probably there. Uh, it's kind of big. It's overwhelming for me. I much prefer like small meetups and what I'm doing now. Uh, but it was good. It was, it was cool to see Adam back walking around in the halls and you know, meet, like every Bitcoiner I've ever wanted to meet in person. So it's pretty sweet. I kind of think Miami is a funny place to have a Bitcoin conference because to me, Bitcoin is like the least flashy thing in the world. And Bitcoin is all, or sorry, Miami is all about flash and fakeness and rented wealth, especially in Miami Beach. And to me, Bitcoin is just the complete polar opposite of that. So it's kind of funny. Yeah, man. Everybody flocked to Florida during COVID. So, so where did you go? Where did you, where did you go right after Miami? Dude, I went through the... I, I never read the Bible, so I don't have any like good analogies. But through the Valley of Fire, the Valley of Death or whatever, I did five days from Miami to Dallas on Ooh. the motorcycle never covered that kind of distance in that short of a time before uh had two two like tornado level storms that i went through on the way there 
that was a, a harrowing journey. I learned a lot about my endurance during that period, but made it to Texas. And then I spent three weeks in Texas bobbing around. What's it like riding for, I mean, I know driving a car for six, seven, seven hours longer when you're on a road trip, but when you're on a bike, right? Like it's totally different. You're like you said, you mentioned the word endurance. Uh, it's like the kind of draining to ride that far. Is that right? Yeah, you're you're in the environment. So like when you're in a car, you're surrounded by this box and it feels like you're looking through a window. It's almost like you're looking at a screen of the rest of the world around you. In a motorcycle, like you're feeling all the wind, you're feeling all the weather, you're getting hit with the rain. You're much more in the environment. Plus in a car, if you don't touch anything and you leave the wheel straight, you're going to go straight. In a motorcycle, to some extent, that's still true, but you're much more active on the bike all the time, just ensuring that it's upright because right, it's right. a lot easier to slide off the road. So you just always requires attention. You always have to be paying attention much more so than when you're in a car, even though you obviously have to be awake and alert when you're in a car, it, it just requires much less energy, not to mention being up with the wind and everything. And for that five-day period, I had a shorter windshield that, that was like the standard windshield on the motorcycle that I have. And it's just not tall enough for my heights. The wind is hitting me right in the forehead. So my head was like the whole wow. time. So after about an hour of that, and I was doing like four or five hours of riding a day, I had a massive headache. So I was popping Advil's every day, just trying not to suffer too much through that whole ride. But yeah, oh, it's a much yeah. different experience on a bike. On my bike, it's fairly comfortable as far as bikes go, especially once you get the wind over your head. I've done, I did, I think the longest trip I ever did was about 11 hours of seat time on a dirt bike. I went from Bangkok wow. to Chiang Mai in one day, which is like I don't know, 700 or 800 kilometers or something. Google that before I just shoot from the hip. But um, yeah, I couldn't sleep on my back for two days after that because That's my rough. ass hurts so bad. The the WF people, people like that, right? They were going to have, have nothing and be happy, but they also, they also want us to eat bugs. So I use some, I assume some experience with that. How many bugs you eat on this, uh, on your, your bike when you're going through the, through the South in the springtime time there, like Louisiana's pretty, pretty swampy. It's Florida. I imagine you really got some bug, bugs in there. Actually, I didn't find that the South was too bad. It's the Midwest. Oh, it's, it's like Kansas, um, South Dakota, Minneapolis and Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Well, my bike was coated in bugs. I had to wash the windshield every time I filled up the tank, like every 200 miles because it was just coated in bugs. Thankfully, I haven't eaten any on this trip. I've eaten one before. I'm actually surprised. In Thailand, it wasn't that tasty. Yeah, it just know, went straight down. I ate some bugs in survival school, but I'm not going to do it for every day in my life. Mm -hmm. So... You're, you're like, you're going around hitting up Bitcoin meetups and all the cities. Is that, is that the main purpose of your trip? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I wanted to see Bitcoin culture in person from the ground. Spend a lot of time on Bitcoin Twitter. I've been living sure. out of the country for two and a half years. I haven't set foot on American soil in, in almost three years. 
And so I wanted to see America from the ground and I wanted to meet Bitcoiners in the flesh because so much good comes from Twitter and from the internet, but I think there's a lot that changes in a negative way in terms of building relationships and, and like, I don't know, positivity feels like Twitter can become a very negative and to your point sure. about WEF, like conspiratorial, scary kind of place yeah. to be that just, you know, I, I, I enjoy the information that I get, but it's taxing and tiring and not like a ride experience. a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, all right. Like what, so give me, give me your background before we go into where you were at for two and a half years. Sounds like you were in China recently, but what's your, where, where'd you grow up? Like what was your, uh, your, your childhood like? I grew up outside Chicago in the suburbs. I had, a, I guess, a normal suburban white picket fence type of upbringing. Dad had a great stable job. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had a fairly chill upbringing. Um, I never really felt like I fit in uh, with the culture in the Midwest. I remember from an early age thinking, I want to leave and go live somewhere else. And I didn't really know where that was or why necessarily I wanted to leave, just that it wasn't my kind of culture. I remember my first job. I was an intern at a commercial insurance company in Schaumburg, Illinois. And my first Friday at that job, I was invited to go to a retirement party, like a retirement lunch for some Hmm. guy that was retiring worked at Zurich at this company his entire life <laughs> or his entire working life. And he's, I don't know, 65 or something. And somebody asked him like, Bob, what are you excited to do now that you're retired? You won't come in on Monday. And he said, I'm excited to go to the lake and get on my boat and drink beer. And I was sitting there. Everyone's like, wow, that sounds so fun. And I was looking around like, <sighs> I'd really put a gun in my mouth and do that, you know? <laughs> And funny enough, I've come full circle and I know I would enjoy that a lot, but just it felt like a very closed world where people grew up in the suburbs, got a good job, lived in a cubicle for 40 years, went to the lake, drank beer and died. And I just kept thinking to myself, there's got to be more to life. I have to do something more interesting than that. And so I left. We're not going to be a pensioner. Yeah, I'm not going to be a pensioner. From a very early age, I knew like I'm not going to be a, a career climb the ladder type of person. It's just not my personality. So I went to school on the East Coast and went and lived in New York for three years. And that's kind of when I started to go down the, the rabbit hole. Once I graduated, I started, I heard about Bitcoin in, in school. I studied the history of technology and of science which is now coming kind of full circle with things that I'm thinking about with Bitcoin and the way that science and technology progress and fits and starts. And there's the whole history of science is a lot of, and then they fight you whenever there's a new breakthrough. It's often like just decimated by the establishment because it's for many reasons, because it's a threat to establishment science, because it's a threat to you know, the way that grants operate and who's getting money and all of that new, even true ideas often 
just get decimated until they're accepted and then everyone forgets that they originally got decimated. And then the next time a new idea comes around, that group of people decimates the new idea. So it's just, I see these cycles and I've studied these cycles. So it's an interesting degree. I went into technology after that, uh, worked in New York, and that's when I started to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and just read more and more and get more and more interested in it. And what in 2018, what, what year was this? Okay, that was okay, in like yeah. 2016, 2017. Okay, and so then you, I, you were like a 2017 uh, cycle, like yeah. before, before the big run to 19,000 or after or before? The, I bought, or, me. so I was talking about Bitcoin so much that my friends got angry with me, my roommates, I was living with four people in New York, and they're like, do you even shut own up, any yeah. Bitcoin? Because you won't shut up about <laughs> it. And I was like, no, I don't own any. Because I wasn't thinking of it as an investment. I thought of it as a technology and I was interested in it as a technology. So I was reading all this stuff right. about it, trying to understand how it worked, but I didn't think, oh, I should buy some, it'll go up in value. And so I just, on a whim, <laughs> went on Coinbase and bought, hey, Michael. Mike's joining us. <coughs> My audio is different, different now. All people that fucking, fucking broke and I threw it. Finish the thought, finish the thought. So. so yeah. So I bought an entire Bitcoin in September of 2017. And that was at like, I think 3,700 bucks was the price that I paid for one coin. Nice. And it never went down like from the minute that I bought it. I don't yeah, think yeah. maybe it went down for like 10 minutes, but I'm pretty sure it was like right after the last dip and then it just went straight to 20,000. And that really got me hooked watching that. And then I was like, okay, why is it doing this? So. I went deeper and deeper. I got into the whole crypto shitcoin space for a while. All of 2018 was figuring out how do these things work, what matters. And I quit my job at the beginning of 2018. I was working for like a marketing tech company and I, I just figured, you know what, I just forex my investment on this thing. I have some savings. I'm gonna go try to freelance in this crypto space. So I did some freelance work and I was job hunting a little bit and ran out of money very quickly because I was living in Manhattan. So I uh, eventually, I, I worked for a mining farm a little bit during that time and that kind of started to cement my Bitcoin only stance now just because I better understood what matters in these systems and started to look past the flashy marketing and look at like, well, what actually makes a a blockchain any different than just an AWS server and a database, a relational right. database or an Excel spreadsheet. Like what is this? What is this difference? And what struck me is it's not a, I think of it as not a technological change, it's a political change or a mega political change. It changes how we make rules, not, it's not a technology. I don't think of it as tech, because when you think of tech, then people are think of innovation and improving it all the time. That's not that's not the entire point. Like you're giving up all the improvements of speed and scalability and all these things for the ability to have rules without rulers. So and yeah, then I started like, looking at everything else and like, oh, nothing has that except Bitcoin. People talk about, about how they can use, they can put the money rails on Bitcoin. But I kind of, maybe this isn't what, isn't what you're saying, but I don't know how I feel. So I feel so that's why I'm um, interpreting it for you. But it sounds like we're, we're going to build the rail, rails of society on Bitcoin. Yeah, almost. I, I right. talked to um, one of the writers of Thank God for Bitcoin, and we 
we got into this discussion of how Bitcoin kind of reached this point, and I don't really know when it reached it, but it seems like we're there now that it has truly become a system of rules without rulers. And just the same way that we don't pass laws or argue in the halls of Congress about the laws of physics because we don't like gravity and it kills people, right. so we need to change it. We can't pass laws to change Bitcoin. We won't change Bitcoin. We just have to learn how to adapt to it instead. And we yeah, talk it's like about, this, it, yeah. it's this unchangeable thing. It's absolutely. Yeah. Um, I got yeah. I gotta argue with you a bit. They are in Congress now, nowadays arguing about physics, biology, <laughs> and chemistry. Yeah, so, like, it's not completely immune, but I don't think most people people are buying that shit. So, you're right. It's kind of truth. It's just it's uh, self-evident, right? It's like yeah, this. That's, they can try to, to litigate against it or change it, but reality will fly right. in the face. You can write, try to fight fight against the weird, but it's 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 rain or it's gonna it's gonna drown. We're finding that out all over the world. Or it's, might... it's like well, I was just saying that it's like that simple saying like we um, we don't adapt. Wait, the Bitcoin doesn't adapt to us. We adapt to Bitcoin, or however the right, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Like you don't change like Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes changes you, you yeah, yeah, because it's this right, fucking right. it's this stone. Of course, you know what I mean? it's this. So, it's the fucking earth. It's the ground. Well, at what point? Natural law. This was you're, when you left the country, right? Like, is this, at what point did you go from Bitcoin's badass, like the technology's cool and it's going, it's going up, and to where you get to this point where, like, you're talking, we're talking meta, metaphysical, mythological, almost the point. Like, what, what, what was that for you? It was right now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, every day I'm going further, but there was a couple big moments. Like working in in mining was a big one in 2018. Um, I left the country at the end of 2019, and I discovered just through the YouTube algorithm, thank you, YouTube, the series Hidden Secrets of Money by, I can't remember, Michael Maloney, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Michael Maloney. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a damn good series, damn good series. Yeah, and that kind of, that was just, I, I'm always interested in history and you know, weird stories of, of, untold stories of things that have happened my degree in science and history of science and technology is all of those kind of stories, untold stories of history. And this felt like a massive untold story of how the monetary system actually works and the history behind that and other times that it's happened in history. And that really opened my eyes to, oh, wow, there's a big problem here. And it clicked a lot of things that I almost got an economics degree and it clicked a lot of things that I sat in econ 101 classes and was like why the hell are we learning this like I remember the first economics class i ever took in high school we were told like all humans are rational and everyone has perfect information and a couple other like big foundational Mark rules markets markets are efficient yeah of how all this stuff works and then the second slide was none of these are true but everything that we're going to teach you and all the models you're going to learn in all your economics degrees around the world are going to be based on these rules. Why are we learning? If we know the, the foundation of the whole building is broken, then why are we building more on top of it? Because it's just going to collapse. So when I saw that Hidden Secrets of Money series, I realized, oh, wow, that it is actually going to collapse. So what is the, the solution to that? And that's when 
all of my reading about Bitcoin clicked and everyone talking about scarcity and decentralization right. and all those properties and how the system works, it just made instant sense. This is the solution to that massive problem. So that was another huge step for me that brought me along. I met uh, Steve Barber from Upstream Data. Nice. Talked to him about like how flared gas is used to mine Bitcoin and wasted energy is used to mine Bitcoin. So that pushed me along. So yeah, I feel like every every day you're I have some You're experience. recording all of these these talks that you're having, right? With all these different Bitcoiners. Yeah, as I go, mostly with meetup organizers, uh, just about their local meetup and their city and you know, how they see Bitcoin. And what I what have to, you come uh, across on that journey? Like, I'm sure you guys spoke about it a little bit already while I wasn't here, but um, has, is there something that surprised you that you found? Yeah, so one thing that's not surprising when I think about it, but I wasn't expecting it, was there are a lot of Bitcoiners, especially meetup organizers with young families. It's become like a trope. The meetup organizer will, I'll meet them and they'll say, I have to leave a little bit early because I have a one-year-old kid. That I've heard that just way too many times and it's, it feels like an abnormal amount of times. I, Going into this, I guess I expected it would be more younger people starting totally. that. It's I not, mean, it's young it's families, people. but I thought it would be like, you know, out of college. Mm -hmm. But it's so, young families that are thinking long, long term that are starting. Wow. Right, right. That, that's something. Think, Demographic. That, yeah, I've noticed a lot as well. So when media portrays Bitcoiners, right, it's like dope bros. It's like these guys in the 20s who are, like you said, we're, we're talking about flash bullshit in Miami. That's... That is what the crypt. That's what that's what the crypto bros are. But the Bitcoin mm -hmm. people, honestly, every time every time you meet some real life that like, doesn't have a picture of themselves as their actual main picture on Twitter, you're like expecting some. I don't know. I expect some younger looking person like in their late twenties. It's always like a middle aged guy. It's always somebody with a family. Yeah, it's like the biggest biggest distinction I've noticed is the crypto guys are the young guys in their twenties. They're uh, kind of more in finance and. and TDs and then and then like the Bitcoiners are just conservative family men and bought a house, got their kid, kid. And yeah, is it, right. Do you think that's savings? A, do you think that's a surprising fact? I mean, this is something that we're all coming across and something we spoke about earlier about like archetypes of the yeah of the men I, I think, in space or the. I, yeah, I think think the surprising asking aspect of it is, I think like when you think about who was into the Bitcoin at the beginning. It was a lot of younger people, people who, but there was, you know, I guess there was a lot of older guys too, but it's been, you know, 13 years. And now it's, we, we were on our knees when we got, got a lot of us, the people who wanted Bitcoin. Uh, but now a lot of them are hitting their late 30s, even 40s, late 40s. And it's, it's just we're getting, old, getting older as a core, I guess. Yeah, it, it makes me think of like this, um, this idea of conviction and it almost seems like conviction can only exist in something like Bitcoin and all the rest of the assets, the crypto assets, as Michael, Michael Saylor might describe them, the crypto assets, um, all the rest don't have this kind of attachment to conviction. You can't be, you can't have any conviction in any of these things. So right. it doesn't surprise me that kind of, honestly, it's not, it's not, you can't conviction. They're like cynical. It's like this constantly, Let's tr everything after Bitcoin is making more and more trade-offs. 
Yes. So it's just like just like every 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 project that comes out is just another trade-off. So they're just adding up all these trade-offs, right? You start you start with a theory and it's like it's not it's not quite as decentralized because they just got so much bullshit on their nodes, right? But then you go all the way down to, down to like the flavor of the word of the week, which is Alana. And that shit can't even stay online for a week straight without going down. Like it's just so many, so many trade-offs. Centralized it's, there's the nodes are just trying to validate stuff so quickly. Everything gets out of sync so fast, and then the whole network comes down. And it's like so. It's like everybody's making a cynical, a cynical bet, a speculation, a gamble on like how, how much, how much more of a truck can we add here and still make a quick buck off the suckers. And that's just how I, how I see, that's how I see shit coins, shit coins at this point, and like all the, all the coins. Like I don't care if you trade all coins and shit coins. Like I'm not, I'm not call you evil but i am gonna, I'm gonna tell you you're wasting your time and you're gonna go broke so you know <laughs> stop yeah, well there, there is a connection there is a connection there too to the sort of transaction time and how it, it equates to like the speed in which you can transact it might if you're right it might actually equate to something bad like you don't want to transact that fast you know Maybe right that's what that's what people try to tell elon musk he's like it's, it's the it, it's not not you can't understand that, it fast it's enough. It's not that we, yeah. There, it's not that there's not going to be enough memory on computers that's that's cheap in ten years years to run a node. It's the it's the threat, like the smallest, slowest node that someone's running on some little little old laptop, like to process the systems that are coming through, uh, that are being added to the chain. Like it takes a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a time limit in the physical world mm -hmm. that it takes a, a, a computer with a lot of processing power to process these, these blocks and trying to make sure that everybody around the world can run a node and process the, the blocks, the fair, fair participants in the system. And like I said, everybody else is making a trade off there and it's make, making it so it's less likely, likely to be decided and less likely to, to be secure. But yeah, back back to Sid, man. You said something, something earlier. <laughs> Sorry. You said something earlier that uh, I wanted to come back, back to. You said that you want, you wanted to get off there because because it get a little bit conspiratorial and a little bit uh, even you know negative or just weird. That you and I talked about a little bit before the show actually started recording was uh, was about was was about conspiracies and how you're you're like to think that you don't have to actually believe that that these conspiracies are true for. I'll let you explain the, the line, line of thought because it was uh, pretty, pretty interesting to me. Yeah, so <clears throat> I've never never really found the whole conspiracy thing attractive. Like the, especially the whole, the world is controlled by a group of people that are pulling the strings sure. and they're tricking Good us way. all. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel plausible to me. Right. Like my kind of model of the world is everyone is playing these petty games with hardware from the stone age so no matter how wealthy or powerful you are you're still comparing yourself to the next wealthy powerful person and trying to win out over them and so i just don't see this whole like banking class over 500 years is all laughing at us in tuxedos and they just <laughs> got it all cinched up and figured it out and just now they're starting to lose control because of bitcoin like none of that stuff really made much sense to me as something that's possible and the other thing that I that I never really liked about the conspiratorial space is it makes things very unrelatable, which is tough because I think there are a lot of problems in the, in the world 
And I think a lot of the people that espouse a lot of these conspiracies as the causes of the problems, they're right about the problems. They just have no good way of proving that it's actually a conspiracy. And they like to focus right. a lot on the conspiracy part of it, not on the problem and not on solving the problem, importantly. Right. And Bitcoin to me showed me that you can have these problems without needing the conspiracy. And there is a simple solution to these problems, but it's not that the banking class is controlling us. And that also makes it a lot more relatable to the average person. Because I think the average person shuts down when you start talking about conspiracy theories. So if you can relate it to the incentives of the system, rather than that there's some class of devil worshiping right. child eaters that are running right. the world, it's way easier for someone to to swallow that and understand that yeah, it is the incentives because you can see how incentives would would perturb the markets and and all of society in such a way that you'd get the same outcome without a class of people pulling the strings and making it that way rationally right like and not only that everybody everybody's got not everybody, but a lot of people have, you know, a relative or a friend who's a cop or, or who's a politician or some, uh, some politician that they like or like or some who works at a bank or is a banker. And you're trying to, like, say that these people are all evil fucking fucking reptilian, whatever you want to call them. And that, that's, that's going to turn them off, too. Especially people who, who like to think less than other people, people maybe a little realistic. Like, everybody can relate to the fact that if you were a cop, cop or if you were a politician or you were somebody who was put in a situation where your, your incentives or, or you were these incentives for you, for you just to make money to keep your job going to not get in the conduct everybody understands that and they, and they know oh yeah like these incentives i would do these things too not because i'm a bad person necessarily because that's what that's just what I'm what I'm doing to survive and we're all doing we're all making again we're all making trade-offs every day in our own worlds we're making moral choices every every day and sometimes we're, we're not following what we would consider our own moral code because we're trying to survive and we're trying to get and everybody else is doing that and once you understand that you're, you're not trying to get rid of rid of these you cut off the head of Hydra because one will just replace it right it's you, you until you see incentives, you're, you're never actually gonna not not these people who you think are awful running your society. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to just low versus high time preference too. I've been thinking a lot about like what makes a what makes someone like a Bitcoiner or someone that would come to one of these meetups. It's so hard to put into words, but you feel it when you're with someone who also gets why Bitcoin is important and nothing else is quite like it. And I think part of it is this low time preference understanding of thinking long into the future and solving problems at the root layer, like solving the problem so that that solution is enduring rather than band-aiding it over and over again. Because it feels like the rest of society is just looking at all of the problems that we face today and they're thinking in band-aid solutions. What's going to help in the next week? What's going to help in the next year? Not what's going to fix this so that it doesn't happen over much longer time scales. And I'm under no, like, it, I've gone back and forth on this, but I'm really under no illusion that, like, Bitcoin's going to usher in some utopia and suddenly the cycles of history are going to stop. I think we're still going to go through cycles. There will still be wars. There will still be conflict. There will still be suffering. But it certainly solves a lot of present-day 
problems that we're dealing with right now in this cycle and will make, I think, in the future, a lot of these cycles less severe. The way that fiat totally. money makes wars so much more extreme. If we don't have that fiat money that the entire world runs on, it'll be a lot harder for for large groups to come together and wage huge wars and it'll just make that a lot easier until who knows in 500 years if we get fooled again into accepting fiat money and the whole world runs on a fiat standard it certainly could happen as we again forget the lessons of history but i think it's what we need right now at the very least for the next century or 500 years not the next one or two years like a lot of solutions that are out there might offer us for now because stimulus check is going to help us for you know a month until all that money flows in and then as we see food prices go up gas prices go up everything goes up and then stimulus check was kind of useless what, uh, what do you think about the the fourth earning do you, do you have any thoughts about that like because like because i personally kind of feel like you know like what you said we're, we're worried about paid solutions and i think that we've been, we've been doing that a while and duck solutions and it, it's catching up with us and we're getting to a point like we're at this point now right where the resources sources out when oil runs out when energy runs out when food runs out yeah you, until you you make real long fix to the problem, things are screwed. You have no choice, choice but to uh, metaphorically respect God if God is nature, right? Like like you have to respect that, and you have, you have to do the right thing, or you starve, or you freeze. And so I feel like like me, I, we're kind of kind of getting to the point where we're gonna have to tear the institutions down. We're gonna rebuild them anew because we have to. We're, we're no long long kind of look away or, or turn the other turn our eyes away to like all these all these problems we have to to, to face. Them. Yeah, Sid, I read that book like earlier this. Uh, when was that? Sid, quick question. Yeah. What was the ratio of, or? Did you notice anything particular about the people that you're meeting on your trip that had a connection to religion or more of a connection to religion? It's a good question. I I have I can't give you like a good sense of, you know, percentage of people at meetups or percentage of people that I talk to just because I'm not like polling everyone and you know what are your religious values and whatnot. Right. But I've run into a couple people that are pretty Christian and are able to tie that to Bitcoin in interesting ways, which I wasn't really expecting. The first interview that I did on the whole trip was with J.M. Bush, who was one of the co-authors of Thank God for Bitcoin. And it was kind of a strange uh, happenstance thing because I was supposed to be going to Atlanta and then I diverted because they canceled their meetup. So I went through uh, the city that he's in in Florida and just happened to meet up with him. And he had messaged me on Twitter like earlier that day so that it was kind of all just fell together uh, 24 hours before we met. And then I kind of started to understand how sound money fits into the teachings of the Bible and of Christianity. And it was pretty interesting. Like I, I do see a lot of those parallels with Christian teachings more than, than uh, the any church 
but right, or any right. organized religion. So but I this idea of like low time preference and the messages of like the yeah the, the, the text. Yeah, I certainly feel that since Bitcoin has arisen, that religion means more these days. I don't know. That's sort yeah. of feels like feels like to me. Right now, I think um, I, I think a lot of kind of mirrors religion in a lot of ways you've got a really like, a strong community you're kind of rallying around the ethos of of what being a bitcoin bitcoin is like it's, there's like there's all kinds of parallels like i grew up in a religious uh household so it's, it's, it's there's just, just a lot of parallel there. it's it's i don't want to say it's like a replaced religion but i think it's been been more of a you reflect on just you know the importance of community and family and just the values that you get out of a lot of those uh, those text texts. So I think that I, I've noticed that a lot. It's pretty, I think pretty common as well. There's a really good uh, commencement speech by David Foster Wallace called "This Is Water" that I oh, like yeah, to listen yeah. to a lot, and uh, he talks about <clears throat> how like just being alive and conscious, you have to worship something, and modernity just gives us so many things that eat us alive if you worship money you never have enough of it if you worship your beauty you just watch yourself die before your eyes if you worship your intelligence you'll just watch yourself get dumber as you age and religion is the only thing that you can worship that doesn't eat you alive and that might explain why it's so popular because it's something to believe in something that at the boundaries of what you know you can trust the rest to that faith. And that's like throughout the history of science too. Faith has always, it's kind of weird as recently that religion and science have been separate. Through most of history, religion and science were the same thing. They were trying to figure out what is the nature of the world. And religion just started at the edge of what we knew. So you'd find out more and then religion just filled in the gaps of everything else of, you know, why are we here kind of larger philosophical questions and gave people something to hold on to. And science just slowly absorbed more and more. And now we understand how those things work. And if we do this, that happens, but it doesn't replace religion. They're complementary. They fill out this whole space of you know, having meaning in your life. It certainly modifies religions, though, right? Sci the discovery sure. of science is modifies religion in a big way. I, you know, you know, the way I look is I, I think that religion, I mean, science can tell you what you can do and tell you a lot of, a lot of like, facts, information about, about yourself, the chemicals of your body, but it doesn't, it doesn't give meaning necessarily to, to anything and tell you why, why, and I think religion is, if you look at, like, the Bible, the Quran, or the Torah, is a, a this is what we know scientifically, but this is what it practically means. This is, this is the, these are the themes of the world we've lived in and the limitations and, you know, death is, human death, death is a physical scientific process, you decompose, right? But like the, the way, the way death actually affects you is kind of more, in the religious texts, uh, you can, you know, you know what I mean. It's it's just it's a complementary explanation of all right. This this is what happens, but this is what you should should take from it. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Sid, so what 
aspect of Bitcoin do you find yourself thinking about the most? This is an interesting question for me. I'm really interested in like what what Bitcoin being involved with Bitcoin and interested in it pushes people into in terms of lifestyle. And I've seen a lot of that on this trip. People becoming much more interested in family, in farming, in food and health, in living a more slow life with richer connections rather than lots of shallow connections, very fast life, a lot of flash. That's interested me a lot because I feel like I've been interested in that sort of slow life for longer than I've been interested in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of come and, and go here and there, but it's become a lot stronger as I've understood more and more about Bitcoin and how the modern fiat world works. And I've seen a lot of that in, in my tour. And it's been pretty mind blowing, especially around like the farming aspect. I stayed on like a permaculture farm in uh, Michigan that a Bitcoiner owns. And he used to work in film. He was an editor and worked on like documentaries and TV shows and things. And he lived in LA and Chicago and grew up outside Chicago. And four years ago, he decided to quit that and start a farm. And he learned how to start a farm from watching YouTube and reading books. And now he has like 50 or 60 sheep and a whole food forest of stuff that just looks like a wild forest. But he has no room, there's no room for weeds. I mean, he has apple trees with strawberries growing underneath of them and garlic and squash and watermelons and everything all growing in this little pasture. He's got more rabbits than he knows what to do with. He's growing weed. I mean, he has everything on his little farm and he learned how to do all of that on YouTube and just experimenting and trying stuff. And Bitcoin for him is super complementary to that. It's very long, low time preference, takes a long time to see reward, but it's very worth it if you're willing to put in the time to understand it and to work for it. So that, that sort of like lifestyle change that I'm seeing in Bitcoiners is, is super interesting. I'm curious to see how these communities develop and then how they branch out and connect to more and more people because I, it seems like when I meet Bitcoiners, they're much more well-adjusted people than the normal people out in the world, like generally. And, Just, and if you can, and I think this is too, if you first get into Bitcoin, the Bitcoin part, you know, the price is a big, but it's, you know, number go up, stuff's important, at least to a lot of, pe a lot of people. And then the more you get into Bitcoin, the less the price really matters to you. And I think that volatility, um, once you get comfortable with your net worth going down 70% since 75% since the beginning of the year, like, like a couple, like mine has at least, like, I don't care. I've never been more uh, optimistic about the future. And, and literally, like I said, like I said, everything's just crashed down, at least in not in fiat terms. And I think, I think once you get a volatility, like it, giving you that you know lower time preference there's, there's a lot of stuff that just gets people asked out gets out gives them anxiety makes them worry about stuff that you just don't like bitcoiners don't seem to 
have more of that zen to them. Like, yeah. And, uh, you know, the other thing is the idea of, like, a lot of cultures have always wondered about or have an afterlife for this something that lives forever, ever. Eternal, you know, this eternal after you die. And I think other there's an aspect that fascinates and fascinates others. Uh, and Bitcoin is the idea of it being un- incredible, uh, being so depend- so hard to change, being something that you can rely on. That that is something that you, that's that's one of the only things you can like. What you can count on is that the you know the universe is going to continue you operating under the laws laws of physics. The thing that we are a part of with Bitcoin is like one of those few things where you're like, I don't doubt that Bitcoin's going to be large the same in a hundred years. There's going to be some, maybe some soft works, maybe some uh, uh, leases. The fundamentals of Bitcoin, I, I trust, uh, will be, you know, or I can believe will be there in the future. Well, and I could verify that it's there, right? That's the whole point. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you're savvy enough to do such a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that it makes me realize you have to have sort of it, you need like when you said your net worth, you're just like looking at your net worth dropping so low. But you have to be able to be okay with the seventy percent drops. It makes me feel like you have this breath. It's like this breath basically. So it's like you have, you know, breathing in, breathing out, but but that just that's something that's alive. In a way, you know what I mean? Am I getting somewhere with this, or am I just doing one of these high moments? I'm what, probably what, just what, doing what one of these. The, the, I'm saying a heartbeat. What's a heartbeat? It's a, it's a straight, straight line, and then a, and then a boom, right? Oh um, yeah, yeah, I know. You're so right. what I'm saying is, like, if you have you a, have that fickle reaction. If, to let's that say you down. have. A, what does the heartbeat of the, um, of the fiat, a dollar system look like? What is that? You know what I mean? It just looks like it's a that's the, no. Oh, that's the problem. The it it's just doesn't constant. have one. It doesn't it doesn't have one. It's it doesn't have one. one. It's dead. It's dead. Yeah. And Bitcoin just, is yeah, clearly yeah. alive, with its seventy percent volatility. You know right. I mean? you, earlier, yeah. Like Sid says earlier, like you can't. It's hard to describe what a Bitcoiner is, but but know when you you right right. It's like how how many of us could describe. Bitcoin core software that's running on the node. We don't know shit, right? Like it's a bunch of code. And I, I'm a software engineer, so I know a little better. But when you do nodes, they connect and they they just talk. We can't explain it. We just know it works. We can, we can verify. Sid, can you look at the code and understand what you're looking at? Mm, no. I can look at some code. I mean, if I, yeah. I'm, I'm not completely illiterate in development, mm-hmm. but looking at Bitcoin, to be honest, I don't. And I went to a BitDevs in Austin and it made me, it really motivated me to, when I'm done with this tour, do something technical, do some sort of technical course in Bitcoin to get a better understanding. I have some understanding, probably better than the the average Joe, well, definitely better than the average person of how like Bitcoin works on a technical level, UTXOs and all of that. But I couldn't read the code and tell you like, wow, this is really beautiful, honestly. So I need it's to not, do that. It's not beautiful. I'll tell you that. It's actually, 
jank, kind of janky. And like it's one of the, the uh, criticisms, or like criticisms, but just yeah. like like when they talk about Satoshi, they're like, ah, you know, he obviously wasn't a professional programmer. So like like, but I'll see. That's not the kind of programming I do. Uh, I'm like a cloud API, you know, build, building West and stuff. So uh, I can read code and I can tell you what all the code for the most part is parts doing. I don't know C++ that well, but I can't tell you even, this is a different, different layer, right? I can't tell you why he wrote it that way or yeah. why that specific part of that code would use this, this you know, specific type of uh, like you know, Schnorr signatures. You have to go to sort the Schnorr signatures um, for the uh, signings. Or why they use, um, you know, it's different library they use in there. Like, I don't know why that, that necessarily is doing that. I could probably study it for a while, but there's just, just different layers of, even if you can read it, do you really know why it's used? So that it's like, all right, do I really, really understand Bitcoin? Bitcoin really get it? Is or am I just kind of having faith that it is as, as uh, badass as everybody you know and says that it is? And I'm, and I'm trying to learn. It is. I think. I think it is. I think that it's evident in, in the fact that um, for some day for me is how that, like for every day, every day doesn't fail. It becomes more lucky that it will. For me, it's a level of faith that is is definitely religious. Like, because I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to look at this code and see anything. I can barely make it through the white paper. You know what I mean? I just don't, I don't, I just don't understand it in that way. So there is a level of faith and bringing back to religion, it sort of becomes that for me in a way. Right, but it's so like, know how the internet works but after so many years you know like you plug your computer in you blast, blast out of tech it's just gonna just gonna work and right, after right. a while with bitcoin like if you if you know how to use bitcoin you don't have to read right but if you know how to, you know how to get on there and do a transaction set up a wallet right you can do that and it works every every single time um for a while you can just trust your senses as a thing yeah i mean that's you, you can't kinda... trust always got to ver- verify but it gives you enough enough actually have a practical ability that's how that's how i've kind of operated with with bitcoin is i know that i can at least go out there and look at the rules of bitcoin and with the right technical understanding i can get a hell of a lot farther to understanding how it works than anyone will ever get to understanding how the fed works for instance short of working there or being appointed so there's there's also that related mm-hmm. like related to the system that it's supposed to work alongside mm-hmm. or take mm-hmm. over and it's a hell of a lot more transparent than that and just that alone is enough to tell <laughs> me okay that this is something different this is and the fact that yes, yes. and then i think about conspiracy right are there really thousands of developers out there who have read the code that are all lying to us it just doesn't seem right. that plausible that mm-hmm. that would keep going for that long, you know? So the longer it's out there, the more I think it's true. And I think about this sometimes and I get really high, like we faith is all around us all the time. Like if you really think about it, you have faith when you go to bed that you're going to wake up in the same bed, in the same room with the same relationships. Right. Like that's, that's another form of faith. You have faith that when you open the door to your house, it isn't just a sheer cliff and you die. And we have that faith because 
reality has continued to operate in that way for us all the right. time for everyone. No one has us kind of, no one has a ridiculous experience where they open the door and it's just blackness and they fall into it. <laughs> so we have faith that reality is like this, but who's to say that it couldn't be like that? You know, there, there's nothing, we don't have any understanding that it, that couldn't happen at some point, but we just have, no one has ever experienced that, that we've ever met or ever heard of in our entire life. So we just don't think of it as a problem the same way that no one has ever hacked Bitcoin. There's all this money locked up in it. I just, the, as each day goes by, I think it's less and less likely that this is going to break the promises that I believe in, that I have right. faith in, that it will uphold. You know where that does happen, where you open a door and then close it and open it again, it's a black hole to cartoons. That's where it happens. Yes. See, if cartoons can think it, then it's possible within our physical world, but no one has encountered it yet. <laughs> there you go. It's a cartoonish aspect. Okay. So what's next for you, man? Like, what, how, long, how much longer, longer is the tour? And, and what do you got? What are your plans after the tour? So I'm on the road for another maybe two or three weeks and I'll end up on the West coast, like in the San Francisco area. And I'm going to do a little bit of hanging around in the U S and then I will go back to Thailand where I've been living full time and I can get into why I live in Thailand, but I, I fucking love it. So I'm going Please back do, there. Do. Um, yeah, I, as far as like, professionally or Bitcoin wise, to be honest, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next. I'm kind of waiting for the sign of what to work on. I have tons of ideas and tons of things that I want to work on, but I'm kind of just going to figure that out as it comes and, and see what the universe has in store. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next. Um, as far as Thailand, <clears throat> I'm going back just, I went there, I moved there in 2019 and it was a really eye-opening experience to get some distance from American culture uh, and steep myself in an entirely new place and culture. There's like the really obvious benefits like cost of living. I mean, I can live a much higher quality of life in Thailand than I ever could in the US for much less. I feel like it's a 10X improvement. Like I pay, I pay, about one tenth what I paid for a New York apartment, and my apartment is twice the size, so maybe it's a twenty x improvement. And the the food is amazing, the culture is amazing. There's like a I don't know if it's it's definitely in northern Thailand, maybe not so much in like Bangkok and in more professional circles, but everywhere I was in the U.S. from high school onward, just felt very geared towards this just work everyone is focused on work what do you like especially in new york the first thing anyone ever asks you is what do you, what do, you do? do you're defined by your work and i never found that very fulfilling and i don't think a lot of people really find that fulfilling but people get caught up in it and but for me i, I definitely never did and I always wanted there to be more, but I wasn't finding that like living in Manhattan and in Thailand, I think a lot of people are attracted there because they want to get away from that type of culture. A lot of expats at least are, are Westerners or foreigners to Thailand. 
are attracted to Thailand because they want to get away from that type of environment. And so you end up with a lot of people that are much more focused on other things in life and work serves their life rather than their life serving their work. And there are certainly people who are very passionate about their work where their life serves their work, but it's because they enjoy their work, not because they're trying to climb a corporate ladder or prove something to someone or get a nice watch. Because in Thailand, like you can get a lot of the, the creature comforts you want very cheaply. It's very easy to satisfy those things. So people are not really focused on climbing the ladder, showing off. It's a much more relaxed culture. And, and I think Thai culture attracts a lot of people for that reason because Thai culture is, at least in my experience, has generally been not as flashy, not so much focus on getting the nicest things. A lot of people there just feel a lot happier with much less than what we have in the US. It's, it's funny, people definitely have way less on average, but seem much happier than the average American. That's what I feel about, uh, that's how I felt when I was in, in El Salvador. It's, it's one of the portraits in the world. world. I was up, but El Zante, man, like, those people don't have much, but they, they see their family and happy, and they're on the beach, and it's beautiful, and you see some mangoes and some recluses. Life was good, but, so I totally, totally get that. What of, uh, part of Thailand? Are you in Bangkok, or one of the- I'm in uh, Chiang Mai, in the north. Okay, okay. How, yeah. is how, how does that contrast with, uh, like Bangkok, right? Because I feel like a lot of people, they think about, about probably think like the, like the beaches, city, the lady boys, like that culture. Like, what is the North like? Chiang Mai is like very mountainous, um, a lot of outdoor activities, hiking, there's elephant sanctuaries, jungles. It's a, uh, there's a joke among Thais that people from the north are very slow, like they talk very slow, especially. There's a joke that like, if a northerner goes to Bangkok, they'll miss every turn in their cab because by the time they've explained when to turn, the cab driver's already passed that turn. So it's a relaxed pace of life, um, but there's a really hit rich culture going back thousands of years there through different kingdoms that are not really the Thai kingdom there's a central like Siamese Thai kingdom that was centered um, kind of the first one was centered in like Sukhothai, which is sort of dead in the middle of the country. And then it moved south to Ayutthaya and then Bangkok. And Chiang Mai was known as the seat of the Lana kingdom, which was another large kingdom at the same time as the Thai kingdom. And the Thai kingdom just, I believe, ended up winning out and battling the Lana kingdom and and overtaking them. But there's a lot of old ruins throughout the city and temples that are 800 years old. So it just feels like a city with a lot of history and heritage and you, uh, tons of natural beauty. Picking up, can you speak Thai? A little bit. I, I can order tough? food pretty fluently. Nice. So people say Thai is tough. Um, the tones are definitely weird and the sounds are weird there's a lot of really strange sounds that just don't exist in English mm -hmm. that trip people up, I think. And I was fortunate. I think I just met some guy in the lobby of the place I was staying that told me about this course that's called Learn Thai from a White Guy. And this guy starts <laughs> with the alphabet. And he says, you're going to spend months learning the alphabet before I teach you to speak any words. 
Because if you really want to learn Thai, you're better served by learning basically the set of sounds and, and vowels because they're very different from English. And when you hear Thai speak, you try to map it to English, but there is no mapping to English. You really can't map the sounds. You have to learn the sounds natively, like with your mouth and your tongue, and then attach them to the Thai symbol and just to learn it like completely parallel. So like I learned the, the alphabet before I learned how to actually say very much in Thai. And that helped me figure out what the sounds are. And even now, like I, when people tell me a word, a Thai person tells me a word, I tell them, don't try to write it in English letters, write it in Thai. Because if you write it in English letters, if you ask 10 Thais how to write it in English, they'll all write it in a different way. So you'll never get that pronunciation just right because they think it kind of maps to a different thing. But if you write it out in Thai, then I know what those sounds are. So that's made it easier to build a vocabulary and to get more clearly. What is it that uh, is it Todd living there speaking English? I assume you only speak, speak English. Uh, is it, has it been, a, are you able to communicate pretty effectively with the language barrier still? It's not bad. I mean, all Thais are taught English in public schools. Okay. So if, I mean, out in the rural areas, like English penetration is still really low. But most people in Chiang Mai, most Thai people will be able to speak a little bit of English and try to have a conversation with you. So it's really not that bad. Like when you need to get something done, you can figure out how to do it done, how to get it done. And uh, overall, Thailand just feels like a very forgiving place. Like it's pretty easy to get by there. Like I was talking to someone earlier today, you can land in Thailand, get a furnished place to stay, a co-working space, a scooter to ride, like all the logistical things you need to figure out you can do in a morning and you're free by the afternoon. And you compare that awesome. to like living in an American city, it feels like it takes you weeks to get like settled sure. into a new place, get furniture right. to do all that, to rent a U-Haul and do like, it's just a whole huge process. It's so simple, just plant down. Sam? I just wanted to ask, what's the, um, frequency of Bitcoiners that you run into or do, what's your sort of connection with Bitcoin in Thailand if there is one? Yeah, it's been difficult to find Bitcoiners to be honest. A, a lot of the people that, that come to Thailand, at least foreigners that come to Thailand are they're kind of fiat, I guess is the way I would describe it. A lot sure. of people come to Thailand because it's a very low cost of living. It's a very friendly place. There's a lot of good food and things to do. And it, they're living this kind of fast digital nomad life. Mm -hmm. And so they're not really concerned with like the Bitcoin ethos, which to me, it tends to pull people towards planting roots, thinking long, low time preference, long term. Mm -hmm. And th those are not the types of people that well, the majority of people that are coming and going into Thailand, mm -hmm. there's certainly a lot of people there and a lot of Thais that are getting more interested in it. I think there's probably a big education issue in Thailand. Most people don't even own a stock or have an investment portfolio. Sure. They just, their entire life is in cash in the bot. And the funny thing is they have a very good understanding, at least from my sense, that the government is not on your side. The banks are not on your side. 
the, the government in Thailand is not, not super friendly to its people. Um, do, you and, have an, do you have an example? And there's all sorts of weird like laws uh, around like importing things, a lot of weird taxes. Mm. There's three beer brands, maybe four mm -hmm. in Thailand mm -hmm. and Sing the rest out. are all imported. <laughs> and uh, I've been told that's because the companies are uh, partially owned by government officials and by the king mm. and they don't want any competition. So there's no breweries in Thailand. There's no like craft beer. There's plenty wow. of entrepreneurial people doing mm. entrepreneurial things, but it doesn't exist in the beer industry. So there's certain things like that, that just, it's impossible to- it's corruption. Yeah, there's tons of corruption. It's impossible as a tie to, if you want to open a, a roadside stand and sell chicken, you can totally do that. There's like no regulation around that. Mm. I had a friend, an American who started a restaurant in Thailand, and he was from buying or renting the place and remodeling it to opening his doors, it took like three months. And he said he had to sign like two papers at the city office and everything that he did with the government was done in like 30 minutes. It was so simple to do something like that is very, very easy. But then if you wanna have a big company in Thailand, my understanding is you have to know the right people, you have to yeah. pay the right people. So there's a lot of corruption that keeps people down. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there for Bitcoin adoption, but it's still seen as this like stock investment type of thing. There's a lot of people that are interested in trading it. There's a lot of trading volume actually on crypto exchanges mm -hmm. in Thailand, mm -hmm. but it's not seen as this invest in this and hold it for the long term. Maybe that's just there isn't enough in Thai that I, I don't know of any educational material in Thai in the Bitcoin space, or I haven't found it yet. I'm sure there's some Sounds out like there. Open. but most yeah, of it is in english so so yeah you mentioned this, like, what is the is the food where you're at but the same kind of like what they what they've got is they sell Thai food in the united states or is it kind of is it different coming back here not is it, is it different way yeah it is very very different like the very you mean, basic pad thai crab rangoons is not ever dinner every, every day crab rangoons are not a thai thing as far as i can tell <laughs> i've never seen it in thailand but pad thai is definitely a dish, but sure. it's not as popular. Like we think of it as, oh, this is Thai food, but pad thai is not that common of a dish, honestly, when you're in Thailand, you see it mostly at Western places. And really the flavor profiles are just completely different. Like right when I came back, I went to Florida, went to a Thai restaurant in Tampa and everyone there was Thai. I spoke Thai with them. And I asked them, like, what is the most authentic dish that I can get here? Because I just came back from Thailand. And she laughed and said, like, you're not in Thailand. This is not Thai food. <laughs> and it really wasn't. Like, I ordered stuff that I recognized in Thailand, and it just didn't taste at all the same. I think a lot of that is really just, like, availability of ingredients and quality of ingredients and maybe, like, terroir of the land. You're just not going to get the same, like, super fragrant lemongrass that you get in the hills in Thailand that in Florida, you know, you're just not going to get those same ingredients and they're not going to have the same flavors. If you want, want good lemon, as I know a guy in Jacksonville, I'll, I'll put you in touch. Right? Okay. Good.
And a lot of Thai food is actually really, really simple. Like a lot of Thai restaurants will have, they'll serve one or two things and there's just different meat options for them or like different things that you can add in. But I've cooked some Thai food myself and there's not a lot of ingredients. It's more the preparation and I think the quality of ingredients that goes into it that really makes it so incredible. Do you think, uh, do you, do you date to girls or do you, or do you, do you have a, a, a meet like a wife in Thailand or is that something you're interested in at all? Yeah, I've dated, I'm dating a, a Thai girl right now that I've been dating for, geez, a year and a half almost now. And I've known her for like over two years. When are you, when you tying the knot, bro? <laughs> when are you going to become Who a knows? true Bitcoiner? I don't know. <laughs> but I will tell you this, this trip has made me think a lot more about, like, oh, there are, there are really long-term things that we need to talk about, like kids and where we're going to live and yeah. lifestyle and everything that we've talked about a little bit, but I'm starting to think I need to really have those serious conversations and not think of it as like, I need to, to like, I think that I've always kind of had this apprehension of like, I hope that she's also on the same page and that keeps me from asking the question. Yeah, and I'm trying to, to like, think, ah, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to like ruin a good thing because every, right, right. every girl Been that I didn't like, I really like this relationship. The relationship I'm in is incredible right now really like it i don't want it to end and if i ask a question and i get the answer that i don't want is that gonna end the relationship yeah. and i'm starting to think of it more as i need to just figure these things out because if we're not meant to be together because our values don't align then we should just like save ourselves the time and trouble and figure that out now or start to think more seriously if she answers in a way that i didn't expect or i didn't want why is that and can we figure out how to make it work anyway? But in any case, like these things need to be discussed. So I'm starting yeah, to think I've more about that. Been there. So, uh, I tell you the answer is have the conversation. Don't, don't drag it out. Yeah. Start the <laughs> but if she says something to you that maybe you don't want to hear, and that would sort of separate you right there, you know? So then... So I don't know. I see it. I see it both ways as well. It's like, uh, well, yeah, don't, don't do it on like a Tuesday afternoon. If you're busy, you got a day on Wednesday, like save it for like, like, you know, long weekend at the end of you worried about the bad news. Basically you have, to, sufficient. you have to manage your risk. Like how long do you want to wait, you know, before you get That's out and you say it, because yeah. it's essentially at some point it's going to get to a point where you have to say it. So, I guess you just time that shit out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, so where can, where can our listeners find you and like follow, follow this tour and see what you're doing and get in touch with you? Yeah. So the, the easiest way, uh, I'm captain Sid, captain S I D D H on Twitter. So you can follow me there on Twitter. If you want to find like other links about the tour, go to uh, btcmoto.com. There's links for Twitter, Telegram, and there's links for all my sponsors. So Swan, as you guys obviously know, is one of my sponsors. Uh, Unchained Capital is another one. Bitcoin Magazine and Upstream Data, they all pitched in in different ways uh, to help out with the tour. Shout out. Are you going to get one of those boxes from Steve? 
Oh, I hope so. That would be sweet to get comp one of those. Hold on. My parents are here. Oh, oh no. Hey, you got to bring them in. You got to bring yeah. them in. So, hey, I don't, we don't want to take you away from your parents here. So, so uh, the show will come out, come out, what? Probably like July 2nd or 3rd, so next week. Where are you going to be the week, the week after the July? Any meetups that uh, people can come and check out? Yeah. Yeah, so the, the next meetup on, well, if it's coming out on the second, I might be in Durango, California on the second, or okay. California, Colorado, Durango, okay, Colorado, yeah, um, for a small meetup, but it's still TBD. But the next major one is Phoenix on July 7th. Nice. So be there on the 7th. So there you go, everybody, all, all 600 of you. Hey, we're growing. <laughs> yeah, we are. If you guys are in Phoenix or Colorado, where, where Durango was it? No. Yeah, Durango, Colorado. Durango, Durango, Colorado. Go, go meet up with Sid, because he's got a lot of smart shit to say. Oh yeah. Hey man, thanks for coming on. It's great to uh, have you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, I'll, I'll kick you with your parents. I'm gonna stop recording. All right. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us at, at High Hash Rate on Twitter. And we'll see you in the next one.